0: This podcast was recorded on Wondery land.
1: We pay our respect to their elders, past and present, and to the traditional owners of the game Mangrook, without which our game wouldn't exist. This is Footy Actually, brought to you by Play On Radio. Hello, and welcome to Footy Actually, the alternative listening Footy podcast for diehard fans. My name is Kel Rowe, and I'm here with my co-host Gemma Bastiani, AFLW analyst extraordinaire. How are you going, Gem?
2: I'm tired and the fact that there's still one game to go this round is making my mind confused.
1: Oh, that and the
2: heat. It's been kind of epic this weekend. Yeah, also that, terrible, terrible heat.
1: <laughs> so just when we thought we'd be rolling into the next round of footy, pride round, no less, the competition once again got bamboozled by COVID outs. The Gorko Suns were struck down after their win and a frustrating but probably quite welcome health and safety view put the dogs out for their second week running. So at the time of this recording, five games have been played with a refixtured Lions Blues game slated for this Tuesday evening and a Suns-Dogs match TBC. 13 of the 14 clubs have launched their Pride Guernseys uh, and despite the cornerstone game at Whitten Oval not going ahead, the round was a delight of colour, inclusivity and some absolutely cracking footy. What your favorite Pride strip?
2: Oh, my bias is going to come through in this because <laughs> the teams that I really like, but I genuinely, my favorite ones are Melbournes. I really like the way Melbourne always, whether it's in their Indigenous Guernseys, in their men's or their women's programs, Pride Guernsey now. I love the way they incorporate the theme of that Guernsey into what the Melbourne Guernsey already is. Yeah. If you look at the one that they had this weekend, it was that ombre strip of rainbow and the top v and then it goes into the normal navy blue and at the bottom it's the purple to finish off the rainbow i thought that was just genius and that was designed mm-hmm. by former melbourne player tegan cunningham which i thought was really cool yeah and then i really liked frios i love the way they incorporated it was just so slick yeah traditional Fremantle things into the pride guernsey you know the contain bow yeah that i learned about for the first time this week all that sort of <laughs> stuff so I mean, there are no bad pride Guernseys, but those were probably the two that stood out to me. What about you? Absolutely, uh,
1: I have to agree with you with the Frio one. I just thought that was really, really sharp. A great take on, you know, the traditional Guernsey, and and just yeah, really nice. And then also quite surprisingly, I I really like Richmond's, but I think that that was influenced by the fact that they were playing Frio, so as I guess I guess as kits that were on field together they looked really good and then at the game they had the designer who worked with Katie Brennan and um, Sarah Hosking and the team to design the strip talk through some of the stories behind it and what is in it there's some really nice little kind of historic moments and stories woven into it you know I mean even though they're they're in the uh, a young team that a lot of that's built into it. it was really great
2: Oh, can I also mention North Melbourne's? I think North Melbourne's is also great. Sorry, just thinking yeah. now. Everyone's is yeah.
1: great and we love them all, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Friday kicked off with Geelong and Collingwood down at Cadinia Park. It was an old-fashioned pressure cooker kind of game between the two sides and the Cats really gave the Pies a scare. The game ended up 3-6-24 to the Cats up to the Pies 5-5-35. It's really, really great to see Geelong rising to the occasion and showcasing their hard-earned development, but Pires proved too good in the end. They were absolutely made to work for it. There were some magnificent matchups. Uh, I really enjoyed Georgie Presparkis versus Ebony O'Day, Brit Benici, Jamie Lambert in the middle. There was just a lot going on there. The Cats' back line spoiling some shots for the Pires putting their, their bodies on the line, and yeah, I can only imagine what last week's game would have looked like if that Cats team showed up.
2: Yeah, I think I probably am guilty of harping on about the same thing over and over. But the thing that changed for Geelong was they made it so much harder for Collingwood to exit defense compared to the previous week. Last week, you know, all the talk about Karen Harrington's 23 disposals at hundred percent efficiency, you know, Gab Pound and and Laloifi, they both went at over 80%, I think nearly 90% each as well. So that just showed how easy it was for them to hit up those uncontested options coming out of defense. And it just took the game away from the cats in this game, especially early the Cats didn't let that happen. Their half forward line was super defensive, trapped the ball in, mm. it didn't necessarily reflect on the scoreboard. They they still haven't found the way to transition that into scoring, but it's a huge improvement. And it also gives their defense a bit of a breather. Whereas last year, their defense was just constantly under the pump, you know, credit to them because they battled it out. But I, I really liked the way they took away Collingwood's one wood, which is that exit out of defense, that run and carry out of that defensive line. And I just thought that showed a real maturity. Yeah. The other thing that I found fascinating, which you touched on, was the prosparkis battle in the middle. Mm. For a lot of the game, Georgie was playing on Jamie Lambert. And I think people maybe need to, or players need to maybe respect Jamie Lambert a little bit more because all the talk, Brie Davey and Britt Benici and all those sorts of players. But Jamie Lambert has been a very good player for a very long time. Had 22 touches on the weekend. Frost Parkes would go to her at the stoppages, but then go and hunt her own ball and forget to be accountable for Lambert. Hmm. And, you know, that, that's inexperienced. Pris Park is in her third game. She's not going to be the best player in the competition. We've got to give that leeway. But I think that's a lesson to learn for future midfielders going up against Lambert is she's clever. She's not going to hold you to her if you if you don't want to be defending her. She's going to go and hunt the ball herself. And there were so many times where they would be up against each other before the ball went up in the air and then Mm. completely split Lambert would win the ball. And there were a few goals that got kicked off the back of Lambert's work at those stoppages that are around the half forward lines. I think that was the thing that really stood out to me was that's probably where Prisparkis could improve her game. And that's where future um, players coming up against Lambert can be really aware of her.
1: Yeah, you're right. And I think, you know, Lambert's so consistent in her approach to footy and Collingwood having, you know, the big outs that they do at the moment, you don't notice them but that's because she's consistently there putting in the work um, and filling those gaps.
2: Hmm.
1: Who are your on performer votes go to this
2: week? I've given three to Jamie Lambert for the reasons we just said. She had 22 touches, four inside 57 clearances. I thought the talk will be about a whole bunch of other stuff, you know, Geelong's improvement, all that sort of stuff. Jamie Lambert had an incredible performance. Um, Two to Maddie McMahon. She was so good in that (laughs) defensive line. In her 25th game, she had 15 touches and 10 intercepts. You know, that's not an easy thing to do. Um, And she's a a big reason why they weren't, um, they didn't lose this game by a lot more when we know Collingwood has, you know, the potential to have done that to them. Um, And then one two, which is my controversial one here, because... The person you've given one to, I agree with. I'm not disagreeing with you, but Eliza James. um, Mm -hmm. Do not know who's getting the Rising Star nominations, uh, as much (laughs) as people think that I do. I absolutely think she should get one this week. She had 12 touches, kicked a goal, but her speed in attack and her willingness to put in second, third efforts in that forward line totally sparked up that Collingwood attack. And I think it kind of gave a kick in the butt of Sophie Alexander who started doing that as well. And we haven't seen as much of that from her this year. And Mm. so I think Sophie Alexander had a really good game because she was up and about with that energy. I loved what Eliza James did. She had a couple of other shots on goal, which didn't quite work out, but once those start clicking, she's going to be very, very hard to stop. Oh
1: gosh. Yeah. Similarly to you, I've gone three votes to Jamie Lambert. I've given two votes to Eliza James because I I absolutely agree with you there as well. I thought, watching her she's got the skill she's got the fitness really all it comes down to is getting more games under her belt and really building on that kind of football maturity um like you said the the couple of choices that she made that didn't come off the more games she plays i think she's going to be amazing to watch uh and (laughs) well done piers for that pickup And uh, one vote to Kate Darby because, again, she was just rock solid for the Cats. I'm so glad. I know, I know we said this last week, but I'm so glad to see her back in the competition because she's just a real solid performer.
2: Yeah, she's a role player, which is what the Cats need. They need people who they can rely on. To, Maddie McMahon is the same. Maddie McMahon is never going to be the star of that team. Hmm. But they rely on her to do her job every single week and Kate Darby is doing that because she's been given consistent opportunity as well in the past she's been in for a couple of games and been back out of the side she hasn't been a first choice um, pick every week but she allows Phoebe Williams to do so much more so yes I agree with you giving her votes I feel bad for not having done it myself
1: that's right there are two of us we can share the love
2: can you tell I just had coffee right before we recorded
1: (laughs) We've we've literally switched uh, personalities this weekend. It's, Sorry, uh, it's all right. Everything everything comes out in the wash. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so Saturday obviously brought us to the first of our double header at Punt Road between West Coast Eagles and Adelaide Crows. The Eagles went down to the Crows one three nine to six six I feel like the first quarter might have fooled some of us into thinking that we had a contest on our hands the eagles kind of managed to ruin the cross flow a bit with the ball and then adelaide just lifted and they absolutely left the eagles in the dust but some errors and some panic clearances probably didn't help west coast and adelaide <laughs> just showed everyone why they're a premiership side it was an absolute clinic in the end
2: what i've written down and i should clarify for the listeners you like put a lot of stuff into our prep doc and i put one sentence for each (laughs) game to just keep the mystery alive for you so what i've written is eagles played it safe and adelaide pounced so you're not wrong in saying that first quarter it felt like there was a contest on on our hands you know the eagles were tough in the contest they prevented adelaide from getting that outside clean disposal ball use that they're really good at and also kind of covered them from running into that space that we saw North Melbourne were guilty of giving to Adelaide last week. But then after quarter time, it just fell away. And the Eagles, when they did win possession, they would just kick long down the line every time. They wouldn't even consider looking inboard for an option. So you kick long down the line against Adelaide, Montana McKinnon or Sarah Allen or Mariana Radjic, one of them is going to stop you from winning the ball in the air. And then at ground level, Adelaide were too good. And then once they did win the ball at half forward, and we're looking up into the 50 to try and choose an option. There was no movement at all. And it, I know it was a really hot day. We should give that caveat. It was 33 degrees in Melbourne, really sunny, but there was just no movement for the player kicking in. So they would just have to kick long to the goal square in the hope that it was putting it into a dangerous position. So there was no opportunity to lower your eyes and hit up a target to be a little bit more methodical with your ball movement because no one was moving for you to have that space to kick it into or anything like that. And I think that's what the frustrating thing was. They've got a talented list. They've got talent on that list. And Evie Gooch is an incredible acquisition. She was a really good in that game. She
1: played really well.
2: Amy Schmidt um, kicked a really good goal in the first quarter. She was really involved early in the game. The talent is there that maybe it's just the, maybe it's the game plan or whatever that is, isn't quite connecting. Um, and I don't know how to fix that.
1: It's okay. You're not, you're not
2: a coach. I'm not the coach. Um, but you know what I mean? Like it, the, the pieces should be there, but the way they've been put together aren't fitting, if that makes yeah. sense.
1: No, that makes sense. It's just not clicking for them.
2: Yeah. Whereas Adelaide, they're a well-drilled team. They're very mature, very experienced. They used the ball beautifully around the ground after quarter time. And it was just their game for the taking in the end.
1: It was really nice to watch, actually. I think it's the first time I've seen Adelaide live. What? Um, Yeah, it's a bit ridiculous. Yeah, fantastic to see them um, play footy on Punt Road, despite the fact that it was stinking hot. It was amazing to be so close to that. (laughs) Who are you playing on performer Votes going to?
2: So I'm giving three to Ebony Marinoff because I think we've forgotten how good Ebony Marinoff is this year because we've been talking about Anne Hatchard. We've been talking about Ash Woodland. Ebony Marinoff is still incredible she had 23 disposals at 78 percent efficiency Ooh. she's only once in the past that she had a higher disposal efficiency in her career she lapped up that uncontested free game that west coast let them play after quarter time she killed it and she also laid six tackles um on the on the defensive side so love mm. that from ebony marinoff two to Eloise Jones. So Anne Hatchard went off in the third quarter with a plantar fascia injury, didn't return to the field and someone needed to step up into that midfield role that Ann Hatchard was leaving. But it's not an easy role to fill because you need to be able to go inside the contest really well and then transition to the outside really effectively. But Eloise Jones has been playing more midfield this year. She ended up with 20 disposals at 80% efficiency, which again, career high for her and also high disposal efficiency for her. She kicked a goal and she had 328 metres gain. So she filled that N Hatchard role beautifully. Huge game. (laughs) Exactly. And that's exactly what you get from Hatchard as well, is that ball movement into attack, winning the ball quite a bit and Hatchard doesn't hit the scoreboard like Eloise Jones does. So they've got a real asset there. And then I've given one to Justine Mules because, um, again, she was an example of a player just using the ball really cleverly and well. Mm. She only had the eight touches but went at 100%. She also kicked two goals for the first time in her career and had five score involvements. And I really liked what she offered at ground level up forward.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I've gone three votes for Eloise Jones. I happen to be sitting on the boundary where she basically intercepted a mark that was meant for Michaela Bond she came out of nowhere and took the ball and disappeared off into the distance. It was pretty fabulous. Yeah, very quick.
2: That moment last week against Caitlin Ashmore where she came from nowhere, spoil it as well. That comes to mind.
1: Yeah, Bowen had no idea she was there and couldn't do a thing about it. Um, I've given two votes to Marinoff. Like I say, just another one of those really consistent footy players. We shouldn't forget that she's there. It's just another feather in in Adelaide's cap. Mm -hmm. And I've given one vote to Bowen. She was really trying to make things happen for west coast there's a couple of moments where i think they took a kick out of defense and went to her opposite wing when she was just literally screaming with them to switch it to her side so yeah not for lack
0: of trying and there unfortunately hopefully they'll find some rhythm soon you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com/slash host.
1: We had a bit of a break from Punt Road and we were treated to a rather surprising hit out at Casey Fields between Melbourne Demons and St Kilda. Melbourne kicked nine goals, 1064, to St Kilda's three goals, 523. If you looked at that final score, you'd be forgiven for thinking that the Saints were still struggling to find some form. But I feel like the game, the actual game, told a a different story, at least for three quarters. they definitely done their homework on the way that Melbourne likes to move the ball, and I feel like they probably spent those three quarters absolutely trying to stop that movement of the ball uh, and managed to come up with some scores, which is pretty fantastic. You get to the top of the fourth quarter, it's 23 points apiece. And then the Ds just tear the game open. And I cried a little, but <laughs> it's still really nice to see some progress from the Saints and Holy those Demons are just scary inside 50. Uh,
2: full disclosure, I watched this on my iPad while sitting at Pun Road between yeah. games. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, um, <laughs> only way to do it. Yeah, I think you're, you're right in saying the Saints worked out how the Demons wanted to use the ball and close that off. Because it it was twofold the way they did that. Mm. They blocked off that 45 kick into the corridor. So Melbourne couldn't get back into that really direct attacking zone that they want to play in and stopped those handball receives. They followed their player really closely. yeah And then they also just piled on the pressure. So they had 75 tackles, which was 22 more than what Melbourne applied. So this is similar to what Richmond did in the first quarter against Melbourne last week, Mm. apply the pressure. Don't let Melbourne use that clean disposal and make them panic a little bit, but also shut off that kick inside. So by doing that, they actually prevented Melbourne from really having any territory in the first half, first three quarters of the game. Thank goodness for Taylor Harris being a big marking target up forward where you could be a little bit messy going forward. She makes it look a bit better than it does. So they were able to get on the board and stay within reach of St. Kilda. But Melbourne, when they have momentum, very hard to stop. And that's something we've seen three times now this, this year. Round one, it was that first quarter. They kicked three goals to none. So three goals doesn't sound that impressive, but the way they did it was really systematic and they took the control away from the Western Bulldogs. Yeah. Round two, it was that second quarter where they kicked five goals against Richmond where they just took the game away. They controlled possession, won it out of the stoppages and got the ball moving forward really directly. And then that happened again in the final quarter where they kicked six goals. They... One really clean stoppages and you saw the real breakaway out of stoppage. And then they had so many assets up forward where they could either hit a target up or if the ball went to ground, like when Daisy Pierce didn't, didn't take that mark, she could recover because she was in a one-on-one, and had the space to maneuver. So it's that kind of threefold forward line option that they have that makes them really dangerous when they do win the ball cleanly up the field.
1: Yeah, there was a really good one-on-one between Daisy Pierce um, and BJ from the Saints. It was just a clever little tap out of the way. Then Daisy turned, took the footy and snapped. The the goal was great, but I think my favourite part of the whole bit of footage that you could see on the broadcast was BJ just turning around and being like, well done to her opponent. Ex-teammates. It was amazing. And, yeah, I, I would do the same if I just uh, had a goal kicked on me like that.
2: <laughs> well, Daisy Pierce, you got to respect.
1: Pretty royalty <laughs> right there. <laughs> Who are you play on performer votes this week?
2: I've given three to Tilly Lucas-Rod. She's continuing that role in the middle for the Saints. She really sets a standard for them, which is something that I really love. She had a game-high 22 disposal, so she led the pack, mm. which is... Pretty impressive when there's a Karen Paxman and a Tyler Hanks on the field. Um, She also laid nine tackles and had three inside 50s, So she was doing a lot of work for them. I've given to maybe controversially to Kate Hall. But the thing that I loved about Kate Hall's game, even though she missed a few shots and I actually had a chat to her about that this week was her accuracy in front of goal. Um, Sorry. Okay. She, she brought it up. Not me was that when the game was tough in the early stages, she was the one that was proactive and moving and, and really dynamic trying to get the ball forward. And I think it's, it's much harder to be good when things aren't going your way as compared to in the fifth quarter, fourth quarter, sorry, fifth quarter, (laughs) out of Sanctum podcast. If anyone wants to go and listen to that, in the fourth quarter, when everyone's up and about, you know what I mean? So, yeah, I think that's the reason I've given her the two. She also kicked the goal. Um, and then I've given one to Lauren Pierce because, again, we talk about rocks, we talk about Brie Moody being the all Australian rock, and, and people talk about Lauren Bella because she is always leading the hitouts and talk about Emma King. Let's talk about Lauren Pierce, please, because she had 20 hitouts, which is the most most on the field. She also won an equal game high five clearances. She had 13 touches. Her her footy brain is unbelievable. And the goals she kicked, everyone, please go and watch it. It is amazing. Unbelievable. Love to see a ruck kicking goals. Yeah. Straight out of the ruck in a forward stoppage, knows where the goals are, kicks it from, what, 40 metres out? So, yeah, let's give Lauren Pierce some respect, please. Absolutely.
1: She really just made a meal of that whole game. Uh, and she does quite regularly. There's a lot of classy rucks out there in the competition uh, and Los Pierce is, is among them for sure.
2: Near the top. At the pinnacle. If not, it's no secret that I think she should have been an All-Australian ruck last year alongside Brie Moody. There's no reason you can't have two rucks in an All-Australian team.
1: Yeah, someone has to pinch hit in the forward.
2: Especially when Lauren Pierce is such a good ground ball winner. Moody, totally different kind of ruck. Anyway, that's a conversation for a different day.
1: (laughs) We'll park that. Uh, My play on performer votes this week were, uh, I've given three to Tyler Hanks because I feel like they really had to work hard to get that ball moving. What with the pressure that the Saints put on, she's always really dangerous around stoppages. And, you know, I think there were a few occasions where her efforts really got the ball moving for the Deeds. And she kicked two goals. Well, that too. That's pretty great. Handy. I've given two votes to... Karen Paxman for similar reasons I think you know they weren't allowed to do their kicking on the angles and then into the corridors so they probably had to move the ball by foot a bit more in the middle uh, and I've given one to Tilly Lucas Rod for all of the reasons you said she has just taken her game to the next level this year I think and is you know gonna be a really important senior player and leader at the Saints from from here on in. Following on from the absolute beast of the game at Casey Fields, <laughs> we returned to Punt Road for the second game of the double header with the home side hosts Richmond taking on Frio. The very first time in the history of the competition, I believe
2: mm-hmm.
1: this one was another one of those really eagerly anticipated matchups. Given both teams' style of play and particularly Richmond's improvement, I think everyone's really keen to see what they'll do next, which is is really exciting for them. I felt like it was a real back and forth kind of game. Each team seemed to be kind of answering other's score with another goal, and it wasn't really until that kind of final turn back end of the game where Frio just put on the gas and charged out for a 30-point victory over the Tigers. It was a really entertaining game.
2: It was quite similar to the game previous to it, in fact. Mm. So the thing that I really enjoyed about this game was Fremantle's tactics from quarter to quarter.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: There was a fairly significant wind at Punt Road by the time this game was happening. And what Frio did, they they had the wind for their advantage in the second and fourth quarters. What they did, if you watch a replay, you can see their forward line structure really differently in those quarters as compared to the first and the third, where they didn't have the wind. What they would do is have a, a Gemma Houghton or a, or a Roxy sit in the goal square to fit the 5 6 five positioning rules at centre bounces, stoppages. And then the other four forwards would sit along the 50-meter arc. Mm. So as soon as the ball was in play, they would run up toward the contest and they would have so much space ahead of the ball for them so they could use any breakaways they get and get a long kick over the back towards the goal, knowing that they had the wind at their backs. And I thought it was just really clever and it obviously worked out for them because they kicked 56 points in the second and third quarters alone and they ended up with 77 points. So the strategy that they used... To make that wind work for them, I thought was really fascinating to watch. And just it's showing the nuance that is in AFLW that people don't seem to think exists. It absolutely exists. And that is one example of it.
1: Absolutely. I really enjoyed a particular moment where Ebony Antonio sold candy to Monconti. And kicked
2: a goal from 50.
1: Yep. And once more, much like the, the Demons Saints game, there was a bit of a brief appreciation from her uh, opposition, which you can see on the broadcast. It's a, just a real nice part of the the women's game, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Who were your playing performer votes for?
2: So we've got to give three to Kiara Bowers. So uh, according to the presser after the game Kiara was very unhappy with her game the previous week despite getting five coaches votes in that game and still being very important she was not happy you know it had been difficult for them they'd just come over all that sort of stuff so went to work this week did she ever 28 disposals which equals her personal best she laid 16 tackles she (laughs) had nine score involvements without scoring herself which is an even more impressive feat Nine clearances, most on the field, and 428 metres gained. That is one of the most complete performances you'll see from a midfielder in the AFLW. So hats off to you, Kiara Bowers. I really struggled with who to give my second vote to because there were a lot of players that I wanted to give it to. Yeah. But I've settled on Hayley Miller because... She was touch and go to play this game as they're trying to manage their players throughout the season. Um, obviously, Ann McMahon sat out this week. Um, Cara Antonio sat out last week. She played. She had the 14 disposals. She had seven score involvements, kicked a goal. But what was most impressive was late in the game, in 33-degree heat, where everyone was tiring a little bit. Yeah. That was when Haley Miller got to work and... Three or four times in that final quarter, it was her breaking away from stoppage that created scoring opportunities for Frio. And it was just stunning to watch. All of a sudden, she'd just be streaking out of a contest and Mm. getting the ball forward and just really becoming super damaging. And again, this is late in the game. They've worked their butts off all game in 33-degree heat. That was super impressive to me.
1: It's a bit of a visual spectacle too. Yeah. Because she's so distinctive with her ponytails streaking up the field. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I've given one to Gabby O'Sullivan, which, again, could have been a bunch of players, Mon included. But I've given it to Gabby because early in the game when Richmond were challenging, this is a bit similar to the Kate Hall one, Gabby O'Sullivan was the one running through, causing chaos, and she didn't mm. always use the ball as well as you maybe would have liked, but she was creating opportunities and unsettling her opponents. And I really liked the way she was moving around the ground and just going a bullet a gate at all times she had the 14 touches she laid eight tackles so applying that defensive pressure as well so that's why I've given it to her
1: yeah sometimes you kind of need to I guess ruffle your opponent's feathers to find the best course for the footy Mm. Uh, similarly I've given three votes to Kiara Bowers like I said it's incredibly incredibly complete performance And I love that she was disappointed with her game last week because I also thought that that was a great game. (laughs) You're your own worst critic. I've actually given two votes to Gabby Seymour. I really enjoyed the ruck matchup between her and Mim Strong. She's really developing in that ruck role this year. And it was a reasonably well-made matchup between the two of them. Um, I don't know what the stats are in terms of hit out wins for that, Gem. But would
2: you like me to have a look? Yeah, if you can
1: have a look, that would be great. But it was it was a very entertaining matchup to watch.
2: Gabby had 19, Mim had 18.
1: Cool, my assessment was correct, and I've given uh, one vote to Gemma Houghton. Always really great to see her kick some goals up front. But again, I think similarly to Miller, she she kind of brings this like important part of leadership into their forward line, especially. Uh, and then finally, for now our final game for the weekend, but not for the round, uh, was Sunday's game at Arden Street between the North Melbourne Tasmanian Kangaroos and the DWS Giants. The hosts ran away with the win in the end, 7-12, 54, to Giants 4-3, 27. The Roos were pretty dominant around the stoppages, and they really owned the clearances in this game. And the Giants seemed to be unable to find any kind of targets inside their scoring 50. They managed to take back a bit of ground in the back half of the game and find the, a bit more of the footy. Uh, Jess Doyle kicked a goal on debut. But the Roos were just too classy and too clinical in the stifling heat of the afternoon.
2: So last week I kind of went in on the Saints, I, I realised after the recording, and I, the word that I used was frustrating. Is that correct? Mm. That's being transferred to the Giants this week. I agree. Incredibly frustrating game to watch because... They just didn't play with any sense of proactivity in this mm. game. They would win the ball but in defence and no one would be moving.
1: They seemed to just run straight into traffic a lot of the time.
2: But the thing was a lot of, and I know it was hot, North were covering the ground really well. You wouldn't even realise it was 33 degrees. The Giants just weren't doing that. There weren't enough players running to position or running to create an option so every time a player would win the ball back in defense they would sit there and wait in hope that someone would put their hand up Mm. no one did so then they try to switch it around defense to try and open up another option and the kick would be poor and it would turn the ball back over and put them under pressure again and it was just this endless cycle I don't know it's not effort I don't think it's effort that's the issue I think it's game awareness that oh now's the time for me to run to create an option or run to get my opponent out of the space so that someone else can run into it to win the ball Mm. there just was none of that and then as they would try to get forward they'd get to send a wing maybe and there would just be no one up forward except for four kangaroos it was frustrating to watch because there are better players than this and the giants rely too heavily on too few players and i've got some numbers here for you so alicia eva across the first two rounds, was averaging 23.5 disposals a game. Mm -hmm. In this game, she had 15. Elise Parker was averaging 20 disposals across the first two rounds, had 15 disposals as well. I know 15 disposals is nothing to sneeze at, but that's well down on what they've been expecting of those two players this year. As soon as you stifle that, they don't have anyone to really do anything except for a Chloe Dalton who tried her guts out all day. Oh, my God, Yeah. Yeah. It's that mindset of, oh, they'll do it. So I don't have to. And it just stuffed them up. And then, you know, the scoreboard they lost by 27, it definitely didn't feel like a game where they lost by 27. It felt like a game where they lost by 50, which is, I'm being incredibly harsh. And again, I'm aware that they played in incredible heat and the Giants don't have it the easiest, but it was a frustrating game to watch.
1: Yeah. And I think for at least the first quarter, possibly maybe late into the second quarter, that was when they finally hit the scoreboard. The Giants were scoreless.
2: No, no, Giants didn't score until the third quarter.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, it took a really long time and that's why it feels like it was a 50-point loss and not a 27-point loss. Yeah, Like you say, the conditions out there were very, very rough. I, as a spectator on the on the boundary, I was feeling it, so I can only imagine what the players were, were dealing with, but just didn't seem to click for them at all today. Mm. Who did you play on Performer Votes go to?
2: So I want to apologize in advance for not putting Chloe Dalton in here. I really wanted to, but I couldn't justify it. But I love Chloe Dalton and she's incredible. <laughs> I've given three, maybe controversially, to Ellie Gavalis. I rate Ellie Gavales so highly. She had the 14 touches at 71%. Um, she adds so much to the midfield group, but also she mm-hmm. kicks, kick the two goals. She started to really... She, that's the second game she's kicked goals in this year. Second game she's played. Yeah. So she's starting to really get into that forward line more, be really dangerous, and she runs really hard going from stoppage to stoppage. So I really rate Ellie Gavales, and I really liked what she did today. Two to Ash Riddell. She had another 23 touches just casually, another six clearances just casually, four yeah, inside no 50. She never stops working, and we're very easily distracted by Carney and Garner and Bruton. Um, mm. Ash Riddell is a, a star. And then one to Caitlin Ashmore because – what gws weren't giving ashmore was giving in spades which was movement on the outside running to create an option never giving up in doing that stuff and i just really loved it she had 16 touches in the end 300 meters gained and six inside 50s so she was making that really damaging ball movement and attack for north which i really loved
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We were actually watching the game with a friend and we commented about how it would be a really good game to show our local football team that we play in as an example of how to lead and how not to lead Um, because they were literally polar opposites
2: Can I just jump in there for one second as well and just big note myself for a second. I'm very much enjoying all the chat about wingers this year that is happening in commentary, online, all that stuff. I feel like I've created that with my ABC article last year.
1: (laughs) Do you want me to put it in the notes?
2: Yeah, why not? Put my ABC article in the notes. But it's I love that wingers are getting the recognition. They are. Steph Kane was great on the weekend. You know, Alyssa Bannon and Casey Sheriff have been really good on the wings. Like, there's a lot of those players that are starting to get the recognition for a lot of unrewarded running.
1: Absolutely. The the meter's covered in a game. Enormous for those players.
2: Oh, tiring.
1: My three votes go to Emma Carney. I love watching her play. She's just like an absolute ball through the middle. Kicked the first goal for the Roos today. Great captain's goal. Get things going. I've given two points to Caitlin Ashmore, pretty much for all the things that you talked about. You know, she was just effortlessly, or at least made it look effortless, running up and down the wing, creating opportunities and really just pushing the ball forward. She's always really, really dangerous inside 52. So I get really excited when she starts to hit her straps close to goal. And in lieu of you not giving any votes to Chloe, I've given one vote to Chloe, <laughs> uh, one vote Chloe Dalton, because she's just fabulous to watch. I was pretty down that she was not out last week after she fell on her shoulder in that first game. So really, really glad that she was back in the side this week. There was a couple of really great moments. Of course, we saw a good run and carry on the broadcast side. Love to see that in a game. I'm pretty sure you tweeted that.
2: Yeah, she did a couple of times actually and neither resulted in a goal, but she absolutely deserved them to be resulting in a goal.
1: Absolutely. And she took a really nice contested mark in front of me up against Ashmore too, which was pretty great. Mm. Some big things to come there. Hopefully Giants can get their flow clicking a bit more so we get more opportunities to see Chloe at her best. (laughs) So we had a couple of questions come through. Mel asked us about mm-hmm. Frio's ability to hit the goal She said, "Does Saturday's game answer the question about Frio's forward line, or do you think they'll be exposed by better teams?"
2: <laughs> this <laughs> is this is coming from me because I keep saying I'm a wait and see on Frio. I think to a certain extent it does. Uh, you know, having nine individual goal kickers, which is equal um, with the competition record. It shows that you have a lot of players that can do that job, which is really important, kind of the opposite of what we talked about with g w s having not relying on one or two players to do the job really puts you in good stead. Yeah, I mean they were three points away from their highest ever score in the competition. They were ten points away from the high the competition's highest ever score. so. As it stands, I'm nearly a yes. I don't know why I'm still tentative on this. Maybe because (laughs) I like to, you know, shit stir a bit, but...
1: It's a bit of tough love.
2: Yeah, I I think that they, and this sounds really biased again, but I think they and Melbourne are the most dangerous attacking teams as it stands. I think it's those two, and I think Adelaide sits just a little bit behind them.
1: Yeah, I would... uh I would agree with that statement, actually, based on what I've seen on this weekend. Mm. Callum asked us, I was wondering what you've seen as the main differences in the game style between the Paul Hood Geelong and the Dan Lather
2: Geelong. I think this is a really hard question to answer because if you look at the players at Paul Hood's disposal last year compared to the players at Dan Lather's disposal this year, there's, I want to say, a third of the players are different. Mm. But the thing that I really like is Lauda backing in more talls in a team. So I like that he's backing in a Kate Darby. You know, Olivia Barber might not be getting games, but that's because Kate Darby is doing the job really, really well. And I think um, in a team that is so young, you need more of those experienced players around the field. Um, whereas yeah. in the past, most of the experience was sitting in defense and there wasn't a lot of it higher up the field. So I think that's one difference. I like that they're trying to be more defensive higher up the ground than what last they were last year. Last year, it was like last line of defense constantly. And there wasn't a lot of that defense higher. Whereas we, as we discussed earlier, uh Geelong are trying to trap the ball in their forward half more, which makes a really big difference. And it makes um, it more reasonable for them to have shots. Goal allows their forwards to stay at home a little bit more. Um, so I think, uh, from game style point of view, those are the differences that I've seen so far. Um, but again, it's got to come with that caveat of you know, Georgie Prisparkis is there, Manina Morrison is playing games now. Um, Zali Friswell, Gabby Featherson, they're both jets. It's Rachel Kearns has been an absolute game changer she for them.
1: Has been fantastic. I I'm I'm I feel bad that we didn't mention her in the review, but her attacking game this week was phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, and I think the the more games she gets under her belt in terms of AFL style versus Gaelic, she's going to be amazing.
2: Yeah. So there's still a long way to go for Geelong, but I think there's a few little tweaks that have happened thanks to the personnel available, but also thanks to game style that have helped them a bit.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: What's your game to watch next round? Well, as you would know, <laughs> as the fixture stands... Yeah. We will be seeing the top four face off against each other. The four so undefeated insane. teams will be facing off against each other. We've each chosen one of those games. <laughs> I've obviously chosen the Adelaide-Melbourne game at Norwood. Melbourne, pretty good at beating Adelaide here in Melbourne uh, last year. Really not good at beating Adelaide over in Adelaide last year. So no. having to go over to Norwood... Um, I think this is going to be a fascinating game. Both, both teams want to use the ball in a similar way, that run with that quick game going. Mm. Um, both teams have that solid defensive line that looks to switch to the open side. Both teams have a fairly stacked forward line. Melbourne fell last year in the prelim because they couldn't kick accurately a goal. They kicked, I think it was one goal, eight. So they had equal scoring shots or more scoring shots than Adelaide did, but lost. Um, Melbourne has no issue generating scoring opportunities. They just need to make the most of them. And I think that will be the difference in this game, whether Melbourne gets pressured into that poor kick at goal again, or whether they can make the most of those opportunities um, will be the difference in this game.
1: And we know that Adelaide is an absolutely exemplary pressure side um, yeah, they undid the they undid Brisbane in that first round, so mm. theoretically they could uh, do something similar. It's going to be, like you say, very very interesting.
2: Oh. But but you see, St Kilda brought that m- intense pressure um, mm. on the weekend. It worked for three quarters.
1: Adelaide is a fitter team, can probably play out four.
2: That's the thing. Melbourne (laughs) needs to be able to break away from that for more than just one quarter against Adelaide and see what happens. Oh, my gosh, I can't wait. (laughs) Uh,
1: As you you alluded to, I've gone the Collingwood-Frio game at Victoria Park on Sunday. For very similar reasons, I just can't. I'm not sure I can split hairs on this one. I think I kind of don't even know who I've tipped, actually, but we'll get to that. I think it's going to be really close. I think it's going to come down to probably accuracy on goal. <laughs> you know, maybe we'll have a bit of a, a bigger discussion about that one next week post uh, post those games um, and we can truly answer Mel's question. Who are we tipping for the round next week, at least as it stands? That first game on the Friday night is Suns hosting the Tigers. Who have you got?
2: So Richard's third Friday night game. In four rounds, I should yeah. mention. Love a um, I'm going with Richmond by 15 points. They'll be frustrated that they didn't get the win um, the mm. other day because they really pushed Freo for three quarters. Um, so I think they'll come out all guns blazing.
1: Yep. I had a similar line of thought. I've gone Richmond by 12. Then, of course, we've got the first of the notable watchers, uh, Adelaide hosting Melbourne on Saturday. Who have you got?
2: This is one where I've bucked probably the trend a little bit just for fun. Um, I'm tipping Melbourne by one point.
1: Oh, I've gone Melbourne by one Oh,
2: Okay. Yeah. I fully thought you were going to tip Adelaide. No,
1: no. I, um, I've applied my big bias to this one. Then we've got St Kilda taking on West Coast Eagles.
2: I'm going Saints by 10. I've got Saints by
1: 12. This might be their first opportunity to really connect that gameplay that they've been working on. We obviously saw some real shades of brilliance this, this week against Melbourne, so hopefully they they come off the back of that loss with a, like a little bit more confidence in themselves and really take it to the Eagles. That's my Saints bias showing thoroughly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then we've got Brisbane Lions hosting the Cats, so the big cats see the little cats. Who have you got?
2: This is hard to tip because we've only seen one Brisbane game this year. That's obviously because we're recording before their round three game happens. They sat out round two. Um, I, I'm curious to see this Geelong game style mm. with Chloe Shear in the forward line. That being said, I'm tipping <laughs> Brisbane by 10 points, but I this is very much an unknown.
1: Yeah, well, uh, I'm tipping Geelong by six. Like we said, we don't know what the lines look like. We haven't seen them play yet.
2: And they'll be off a short break as well from a Tuesday night game
1: absolutely be off a short break i i would love to see the cats capitalize on the effort they put in then we've got Carlton hosting north
2: i'm going north i think they found their groove uh against the giants and now they'll kind of hit a bit of form for a little bit so i'm going with north by 20
1: yeah i think we all know (laughs) where
2: (laughs) i think we all know
1: where my allegiance lie on this i've gone Carlton by six
2: wild tip that is a wild Wild tip. tip
1: incredibly unpredictable from me Collingwood Frio
2: going Frio by five I still and and again I probably sound like a broken record with this but I just still am not convinced that Collingwood can kick a big enough score to beat some of these teams I know they can defend really well but Frio are going to find a way to score can Collingwood kick that because again Collingwood have won a two inaugural size and never kicked 60 points do you think, no, they wouldn't do it on Freo, surely not. But this is the thing. Against Geelong on the weekend, you know, some of their games this year already, you'd have expected mm. them to have piled on a bit more of a score, and they just haven't. You know, Geelong have a higher, um, highest score with 67 than what Collingwood have, which is 59. That's my, still my question about Collingwood is they're a very good side, but can they score enough to do the job? I don't know. Only time will tell. So that long spiel goes back to saying Freo by five. I've gone Frio by six because uh, I think it will be a
1: really close game. You know, we know that the Pies back line is pretty solid. We know that they've got a good forward line. Equally so, you can say the same things about Frio and their engineers. Janelle rooms.
2: Cuthberton might be back.
1: Yeah, fingers crossed. It'd be great to have her in the lineup for the Frio.
2: Mm.
1: Um, And then, of course, our final game of that round, fingers crossed, hopefully we get it over the line. We've missed them. It's been two rounds without them. Um, Giants are hosting the Dogs.
2: So after I just spent 10 minutes railing on the Giants, I'm going to tip them because I think first game at Henson Park, it's a home ground they're really excited to be playing at. They're going to be wearing the Pride Guernseys. But on top of all of that, they will be smarting from the way they played in in this game against uh, North and the Dogs have had such interruption to their season already. Yeah, I'm, I'm going Giants by one.
1: I'm going Dogs by eight. Surprise! Um, again, you know, backing in my faves. I'm hoping that the break and obviously the the right kind of rest because they've had a pretty big COVID outs, that they'll be just champion to play some football and that lively, spirited Bulldogs team that we know is there, just shows up on the day and absolutely takes it to the Giants.
2: That would be good for football. That
1: would be good for football. Footy would win that day. Um, So, yeah, dogs by eight. We'll see. Let the games begin.
2: I think this is the most differences we've had so far in tipping. I know. Our tips as they stand. I've got 15 out of 17 games that we've tipped because there Mm -hmm. have been some changes, and you've got 11. I'll just flag that these tips are the ones from the pod conversations.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they're the ones for credit, not for prizes, <laughs> at least on our behalf. <laughs> well, that's a wrap on our review of round three, pride round of the AFLW season for 2022. If you'd like to follow along with us this season, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at row underscore Cal and you can find at Mel. Jim, what's your Twitter handle?
2: I'm at JL Bastiani. If you want to somehow be annoyed by my footy tweets that are that seems to have happened this week out of the blue. Yeah. If you
1: want to be frustrated by your take on the Giants on Frio's scoring ability.
2: It's not even that. I just tweet facts and people get mad at me for tweeting facts.
1: You can't get mad at facts. That's real. That's science.
2: It's science. (laughs) Oh, man. Called called out by Carlton last week. (laughs) Hey, we've all been there. Yeah, that's true, actually. Yeah.
1: Well, that's it from us for now. Thanks for listening uh, and we'll catch you next time on Footy Actually.